Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp H-E-L-P. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. It is this business of suet and gelatin. I just think we need to move on a little bit from having meat in desserts. If I'm having dessert... I really don't want that to be my meat course, but that's um, that's just a personal thing. Well, welcome back to the Bake Down podcast for our review of the 2020 Bake Off quarter final. You're listening to Josh Landy, founder of Bake With a Legend, the company that gives you the chance to bake alongside former Bake Off stars. And you can now do this from anywhere in the world with our virtual classes. If you are still to join us for an online class, then what are you waiting for? We've got new classes up this week, including Howard Middleton teaching custard creams and fig rolls on November 22nd, which is going to be fantastic. And our hugely popular chocolate Yule Log class with Dan Beasley-Harling has required a fourth date due to popularity. And you can catch that on December the 19th, just ahead of Christmas. Remember to use the code podcast to get 10% off all bookings. Whilst we'd also love to hear from you if you're thinking about getting a group together online for some team building, a family get together or a virtual Christmas party. Now, it was a classic Bake Off theme this time around, Desserts Week and 2015 finalist Ian Cumming returned to the podcast to join Howard, Jane and I to reflect on another enjoyable week in the tent that saw a remarkable showstopper. We're eight episodes down, just two to go, sadly. We hope you enjoy the episode and we'll have another one for you next Wednesday. Hello and welcome back to episode eight of the Bake Down podcast. We have reached the quarterfinal stage here in 2020. Just five bakers left, all trying to get through dessert week and make it through to the semifinals. I am joined as ever by Howard Middleton and Jane Beadle. And I'm pleased to say making a return to the podcast is Ian Cumming. Uh, Ian, you are live uh, with us from Cambridge in your kitchen, I can see once again. Yes, once again, sitting here is where I tend to live these days. 
Well, we all sadly here in the UK, I know a lot of our listeners are in America, we are sadly back in a, a lockdown situation, uh, but gladly we can uh, all bake at home. I'm uh, wondering, Howard, if there's going to be another run on flour uh, in this next four-week period. What do you think? Are we going to struggle to get hold of flour and eggs as the nation goes back to baking? Oh, I really hope not. I mean, I think, um, you know, there are sort of warnings up in supermarkets about not um, not kind of hoarding and things like that. But uh, but yeah, to be perfectly honest, I, I have, uh, because we've been doing so many kind of Bake with the Legend classes, I have got quite a decent supply of flour at the moment. It's just going to be eggs and, and butter, really. So, uh, so yeah, I should be okay on, on at least part of the ingredients. And Jane, I know in your cookery school close to you in, in Faversham, you've been doing some classes, particularly over half term. It must be quite sad for you to have to sort of close the doors during the next four weeks. Oh, yeah, it was really sad, especially, you know, we just got going. We had a really good half term. We had quite a lot of kids there because mentally busy. Um, and then people had started booking classes. It, it, it was a slow trickle, but they were booking classes, especially in the run up to Christmas. And then we've had to shut the doors again. So, yes, sad. But, you know, I'm not going to moan about it because I'm in a much more fortunate position i'm a oldie with a retired husband so i'm all right it's it's everybody else who's struggling certainly in the um in the hospitality business so it's sad for me but it's desperate for other people so i'm not going to moan about that one no that's right very fair and look we will continue to try and keep uh, morale up for all those that want to do online baking with us we have now been doing it incredibly six months have, have flown by seven months really of online classes and we continue to put new classes up we are doing a lot of christmas parties or team building so if we can cheer you up with uh, an event then do let us know i've even uh, roped jane in to teach a donut class for my family for hanukkah the jewish festival where it's very traditional to eat um, oily food such as donuts so uh, we look forward to doing that now we have a couple of questions and this one is slightly out of the box howard so i will i will come to you um on it <laughs> I, i'm in um, charge of out of the box questions yeah <laughs> this one is uh, from grace in florida i found the show when it aired on netflix i loved having these last two seasons come weekly so I can listen to the podcast with you after I watch the episode on Friday. Thank you for your insight. I look forward to joining you for a virtual class soon. Here's my question. Is it gherkin, just a generic name for what we call a pickle in the US, or is it a specific type? Oh, that's interesting. Any, I, I don't insight? know, to be honest. I thought it was a very small kind of pickled... Uh, so it's part of the cucumber family, but I don't think it's... Um, I don't think it's particularly different to a kind of dill pickle, which I think is what what um, they're quite often called in the USA. So we call them gherkins, but I think it's more or less the same as a dill pickle. But very small. Yeah. But very small. Yeah, I don't know. They call them cornichons in France, apparently. Um, but are they taste exactly the same. They seem flavoured pretty much the same as the big dill pickles. I don't know whether, Ian, can you cast any light? I'm, I'm just trying to think about this. I mean, for some reason, my 13-year-old daughter has suddenly got a passion for cornichons. Um, slightly unusual taste, maybe for a teenage girl, but uh, there we go. So, yes, they are diddy little things. I kind of imagine the gherkins bigger than a cornichon, but we, we'll all have to uh, find out about our pickled uh, cucumbers, clearly. I've just Googled it, actually, and gherkins look bigger than cornichon. I'll give you that. I think it's just a generic term for a cu a type of cucumber, I think. 
But we, we got to know them over here as being relatively small. This email comes from Lauren in Pennsylvania. Um, hello, we really enjoy your podcast. In uh, a recent podcast, you discussed the climate in the tent, sometimes hot, sometimes cold. My question is, why do you think Bake Off is even held in a tent? Why not hold it in a building where the climate could be better controlled? I don't know. We can all have some thoughts on this. Ian, can you imagine uh, have gone into a building, not a tent? Why do you think they've gone for a tent? Mm, I guess it's going for the sort of classic um, English village show kind of um, feel to it, really, isn't it? Um, you, you know, your sort of summer marquee, um, you know, we will, we will hold the village show, whatever the weather. Um, so, um, yeah, I mean, we uh, certainly in the first couple of weeks of ours, we did have we had heaters in the tent, um, but certainly no way of cooling it, um, which, yeah, clearly at times is, <laughs> would have been much appreciated recently. Did they turn the heaters off once they started filming in? Because they did for us, because the sound of the, the fan was picked up on the microphone. So they put it on before they actually went you know, yeah. started filming properly um, so that it took the edge off the chill. Did they do yeah. that for you? I think they did, yes. I think that's right. And I do remember um, when it came to judging, it was still off, obviously. Um, and I remember one or two bakers sitting there behind their benches, actually with the, the ovens turned on and the door open, <laughs> just to keep themselves vaguely warm in this brassic tent. Well, Mary Berry used to sit there with a hot water bottle. That's right. She did, didn't she? Oh, yeah, yeah. The the um, crew would always um, be refreshing her water bottle yeah. for her, which fair enough, really. Howard, do you remember uh, any hot water bottles being seen in your year? I do, I do. Mary had one down the back of her trousers. Well, underneath <laughs> her jacket, anyway, and some little hand warmers as well. But I think on on the tent business, I I wonder as well. What is there's a little bit of the the aspect that in the very first series in the UK, it travelled around the country, so it went to kind of places like Melton Mowbray and and sort of Bakewell and places like that. And I suppose it was that combination of a travelling show. And also, as, as as Ian says, this this kind of idyll of a of a village show as well. So, um, and and I think they just essentially have got stuck with the image, and it's now part of the kind of iconography of Bake Off, really. Well, I hope that answers uh, your question, um, Lauren. Thank you so much for supporting the podcast from Pennsylvania. We look forward to uh, having you join for online classes very soon. Now, let's get stuck into this episode. Howard, you weren't sure about the 1980s theme last week, but Desserts Week, were you back on safer ground? This is a classic yeah. week. <laughs> yes, I am. This, it, I mean, I'd, I absolutely love it when, when they do weeks that are different, you know, uh, that introduces to something um, like Japanese Week, for instance. But I just felt 1980s wasn't a kind of high point in the sort of baking history, really. Not for me, anyway. Uh, but yes, it's, uh, it's lovely. Yeah, absolutely. And look, Howard, we'll start with you, because I know that we've been discussing mini cheesecakes directly because you are doing a class um, in December on Bake with the Legend for just this. So 12 mini cheesecakes for the signature, um, a baked filling. They had to make the base from scratch. So what um, me and my wife turned to each other and said they can't just 
crush up some digestive biscuits that were placed in front of them, sadly. No, I, th- I think when you do do uh, sort of che- cheesecakes on Bake Off, it is a bit of an extended process because you you have to not only make the biscuits uh, and and then crush them and make the base for the um, for, for your cheesecake, but you're having to do that within a certain amount of time. If you were doing this at home, you could possibly make the biscuits in advance. And then when you want to make a cheesecake, you crush them up rather than trying to bake them and crush them within the same period of time. But we're going to do that in, in the class, online class. So, yeah. yeah with your class, is, is your class the one with that cute little gingerbread background and the square of cheesecake it is yeah i saw it yesterday for the first time it looks utterly adorable just like you howard <laughs> thank you <laughs> well, it's, it's one that i did on one of the uh on the uh bake-off christmas special so i thought it'd be quite nice to do as a um as a christmas bake really oh i thought i think it looks lovely howard i might join you um, you'd be very welcome. Now, Ian, <laughs> if I remember rightly, in your dessert week, was your showstopper uh, cheesecake related? Is that right? It was. Yeah. No, it was It was interesting to see that. Um, I have to say back again, really. We had, uh, the difference was we had to do um, uh, a tier of three che- three baked cheesecakes. Um, and it was a showstopper. So, um, you know, they had to be much bigger. Um, so, uh, yeah, baked cheesecakes. And they were lovely. I have to say Pudding Week was my favourite week on Bake Off. Um, I, I do like a rich pudding. Um, and uh, they certainly, you know, let us have those, that's for sure, with um, creme brulees followed by uh, cheesecakes. Um, but, yeah, delicious things. Oh, I remember that week. You did the most delicious creme brulees, didn't you? And oh, didn't... yeah, that's right. Yeah. Mm. And, yeah. and didn't Nadia... Re- was that the week she reduced down things like um, uh, club, not club soda, cream soda and things cream like soda. that to get yeah, the intense flavour rather than use an essence? That's right. Yeah, she. Yeah, it was cream soda and I think one was lemonade, something like that, um, um, and probably one more. Um, yeah, so, um, yeah, some quite quite out there ideas. I seem to remember yeah, saying she had to boil these you know, a litre of, uh, of lemonade or whatever for, for hours in order to get a, a very small concentrated amount of it. Um, so, yeah, it was a delicious week. I remember trying all the other bakers some baked cheesecakes and they were fantastic. Oh, yeah, that was one of your uh, star baker weeks, Ian. So you're, you're very modest not to mention it there. Um, <laughs> Jane, what, what did you make of this task? 12 mini cheesecakes, two and a half hours, as, as Hal was just alluding to there. Um, on the time and the great thing is now because there's just five of them we we really get a a good idea of of how they went about what they wanted to do Mm, I I mean I love a cheesecake and I thought it I I really enjoyed dessert week as as everybody else has because it's very relevant to the sorts of things you bake at home and mini cheesecakes they should have been able to do it in two and a half hours I think even having to make the biscuits the the trick is I think for these ones is not to over bake and Obviously, we haven't had a chance to look at it in depth, but I tend to bake my cheesecakes in a water bath because it does help with the cracking. The cracking is always an issue. It looked like only one of them was doing it in a water bath. Um, And I think that might have helped with some of the textures. Um, I don't know what you guys think, but um, it is very hard to get them cooked and cooled and uncracked. Mind you, they were covering it and all sorts of stuff. You wouldn't have seen the cracks anyway. But 
Um, I'm not sure they covered themselves in glory with their cheesecakes. I I hope I'm not being mean um, there. I didn't. I wasn't wowed by the results, and I don't mean to be unkind because I know how difficult it is in the tent. Uh, I don't know how you guys feel about that. Yeah, I mean, Ian, we we were told, weren't we? And Jane just mentioned that the the tough thing here was about the cooling. If it, if they rush, they can crack, and if they cool too slowly, then they might not set in time to support what you're trying to to put on top. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it was it was interesting this whole business. I mean, I'm, tr- I'm trying to think back to when when we made them, and I don't think um, uh, I don't think I, I used a ban marie. Uh, I think I put a tray of um, boiling water in the bottom of the. Um, oven to try and sort of uh, help in, in, in sort of respect of it cracking. Um, but uh, I thought her, Hermine's idea of baking them in the jam jars, I thought it was interesting. I thought that was a very good idea because um, then you didn't have any worries about the um, of getting them out. But uh, ultimately, it didn't sound like it, it really worked entirely as, as she'd hoped, I guess, because um, Paul wasn't convinced by the base. But um, yeah, it was there was. I, I would kind of agree with Jane. There was a, a lot of sort of you know okay jobs there. Um, but uh, I mean, I th- thought David's um, David's looked quite good. I think he, I thought he sort of did a nice job of it. Howard, just on Dave's, you know that, that Ian mentioned there. They they were sort of neat, um, looked good. I mean, the feedback he got was was pretty strong. The custom middle was delicious. Jelly was thick, but, you know, not rubbery. Uh, a good job overall. Yeah, I think it was a good job. And I did I did like the sound of the orange shortbread base. I thought that was um, was quite interesting. I'd, I'd agree with Jane. I didn't feel that there were many of them that I sort of thought, oh, do you know, I'd love to try that. But ironically, the, the one that I would have um, gone for probably was Mark's. Um, the vanilla and mascarpone with green raisins, orange liqueur and glazed apricot and that almond digestive base. And I know that's got liqueur in there again. Yes, that's probably what's attracting me. <laughs> um, but Howard, he was told they were too big, that they uh, they weren't mini enough. He, he was. And I think that's, that's the problem sometimes because I don't think we always get to see or hear um, the, the kind of full brief. And um, I think Paul said within the the sort of judging, oh, they're not canopy size. And I hadn't got up until that point the fact that that's what they were supposed to be. I know that they said mini cheesecakes, but canopy is is really quite small. Yeah, just a note on Laura, perhaps, Jane, because hers didn't look so fantastic, but she ended up with pretty good feedback. Well, I think... It'd be something that I always say is because we we have an eye and probably in as well judge an awful lot of baking things, especially at food festivals, um, and people turn up most glorious looking things that taste shocking sometimes, although you don't let them know. Um, and I think I would always go for flavour and texture before the look. Um, you need to have all three, but if if it's inedible or it doesn't taste nice or the textures are shocking in the mouth, then it doesn't matter whether it looks like the Mona Lisa, um, you don't want to eat it. And I think Laura really scores on her textures and 
flavours. I mean, I know they did look a bit of a mess, but that, I thought the flavours sounded lovely. Honey and oat biscuit, um, vanilla and passion fruit cheesecake. What's not to like there? Um, and yes, they said they were delicious. They were fantastic. The textures were all there. So I think she scored on flavour and texture and, and maybe just a bit... Um, just a, just a bit messy. So good old Laura. Um, I think she's she's looking she's looking like a new one for me for the final. I must say. Hello, I'm Sam Pay, and I'm Martin Zoltzorstwick, and we are the two hosts of a podcast called Song, Song by, by Song, where we listen every week to a track by the musical artist Tom Waits. Uh, you might know him for his gravelly voice, <coughs> very nice, his appearance in films, but also his multi-decade spanning career uh, involving blues, jazz, and all sorts of other kinds of experimental music. So we're basically like a book club for Tom Waits. And if that sounds like your cup of tea, you can find us at songbysongpodcast.com or wherever you get podcasts. At that point, you, you, you kind of felt Laura had got off to a, uh, a pretty good start that um, no one else had particularly covered themselves in glory as we headed to the technical challenge and ian this was two sussex pond puddings and uh, have you made these in the past and can you tell us a little bit more about suet pastry it's not something uh, many people might be familiar with yes i used to live in sussex so i'm very enthusiastic about them and i have made them and uh, i did a lot of sort of like what it's going on sort of moments when um a lot of no one maybe laura had Laura seemed to have um, a bit of experience with uh, making suet, but uh, generally the whole business seemed to um, totally floor them. And I have to say, it's um, it's a weird idea putting a whole lemon in the centre of, especially quite a small pudding like those ones. Um, but I think they're delicious. I love them. Um, really, really. I mean, I do, and I love suet. I have to admit, um, it's almost one of those things you feel you might be slightly ashamed of. Um, but uh, I think it's lovely. Ian, for those that don't really understand or know what suet is, can you can you explain to us? Suet is one of these ingredients that looks uh, desperately unpromising. Uh, as I think uh, Peter knew what it was. It's the, well, traditionally, a meat suet is the the fat that surrounds the the kid. I thought I thought just the kidneys, but I think he said the kidneys and livers of I think traditionally cows, if I'm not wrong. So it really doesn't sound very nice, but. Um, it does make a delicious pastry, I think. Um, Jane, what's your experience with uh, su- suet? To be honest, I haven't used it much. I've never made a pudding like this, but I use it in dumplings quite a lot. And I'm with Ian. It is delicious. I kind of ditched it two or three years ago when my son turned vegetarian and um, tried to sneak it into mincemeat and things, but he wasn't having any of it. Um, but I think it's absolutely lovely. Um it just adds flavour, you know. I, I, I put lard now in my pastry quite a lot, along with some butter. No, some of these animal fats, and apologies to all really you vegetarians and vegans that are listening, there's no doubt about it. We've tried to move away from fatty meats, but in doing so, we've removed a lot of the flavour, and, and suet is some of that fat and adds gorgeous flavour to a lot of things. Um, I, what surprised me, it wasn't surprised me that people hadn't made suet puddings because it is one of those things that's probably my generation what surprised me is they didn't have the first clue about steaming times um 
I make steamed puddings a lot, but sponge puddings and an ordinary one and a half to two pint pudding will take an hour and a half to cook to steam. And if you're doing it with suet, you could reasonably expect that that pastry is going to take a bit longer than that. So Prue said two hours. Didn't give him much time for the rest of it, but, you know, only knocking up some pastry. Um, and and I, I, are puddings out of fashion? I don't I don't know because they're delicious. I love a steamed pudding. It's a great, easy, um, make it ahead of time and warm it through pudding. And who doesn't like that on a cold winter's day with a load of custard cream and ice cream added? You shouldn't be made to choose, I don't think. Yeah, just no I, I was surprised that one they didn't know how to wrap a pudding two they didn't know how to long how long to um steam them for but i don't know call me old-fashioned i think yeah howard they were struggling at different at different points here weren't there there was a a lot of that looking around at what other people might be doing and you know people struggling with string we saw dave go last into the steamer and be first out and that seemed slightly inevitable what would would come from that and we had these you know shots of all the bakers just sitting there whilst they were steaming looking not quite sure what to do with themselves yeah I'd, oh, i did feel sorry for dave on this one because at one point he'd uh, I, I think there's something wonderfully um old-fashioned about kind of wrapping a pudding and 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 putting the little pleat on top now i was, I was impressed that, that i think only laura were, knew how to do the little the little pleat probably i mean may, may have known how to do it but dave trying to try this tie the string around his pudding and having the pudding basin upside down so of course it's going to slip off that way because the pudding basin has a little ridge around which the string needs to sit underneath and you hold it that way up i don't know why i'm demonstrating on on zoom because nobody can see oh but yes oh bless him yeah it's um it, it's probably something that uh, once somebody points out to you that is is quite easy to understand but if you've never done it before then uh, then clearly it is a bit of a um, it's a bit of a dilemma how to deal with it yeah well, they, they ended up with quite varying results, none of whom Ian possibly, uh, again, covered themselves in glory. No. But we had everything from, you know, incredibly leaky, all-over-the-plate situations to, you know, something that resembled, a, you know, what it was supposed to be that we'd seen on the kitchen table as ever with Paul and Prue. But even Laura, who ended up winning, didn't really get particularly good feedback. No, no, it was interesting. I mean, a lot of those ponds burst their banks, didn't they? Um, it was um, it was a pretty unimpressive scene on that gingham altar um, this week. Uh, the one or two people who's um, who's actually held together, um, but I think everyone had at least one of their puddings burst open before they would before they'd been tried, and uh, that was I guess that was all down to the lack of steaming time. Um, so they, yeah, it, it didn't look pretty on, uh, on the table in the suite. So, um, yeah, which I guess makes a good, good technical challenge almost, but you I guess though, in some ways you want a variation of qualities and this week it was kind of more all bad really, wasn't it? <laughs> it was. <laughs> Can you imagine how dull that must've been in the tent though? They've got two and a half hours. There must've been so much sitting around just watching something steam. 
Yeah, exactly. Uh, you don't yeah, see I mean, that on telly, of course, in the edit, but oh my goodness me, you could have got your knitting out, couldn't you? I mean, yeah, no, those quiet does. moments are quite unnerving, aren't they? Because oh, they, they are. don't happen often. Um, and you're just sort of twiddling and hoping and, you know, okay, you make creme anglaise, but um, I don't think I've ever made a creme anglaise, but I don't think it takes terribly long. No, it really doesn't. No, no it really, really. Really does. It's only a custard, isn't it? So that yeah. that would have filled ten minutes, mm. and then there's just a lot of watching things steam. It's, mm. um, interesting, oh. though. But I don't think I'm going to be rushing to make a Sussex pond pudding. I, oh really? Oh no! Uh, it made me made me want to um to get cracking in one. In fact, I think I'm just looking behind me. Yes, I've got a um I've got a poster on the wall: puddings of British Isles, and uh, Sussex pond is up there. Oh, I can um, see your poster. Sorry, viewers or listeners, you can't see Ian's poster, but it's got one, two, three, five, yeah. six, seven, nine, ten, eleven, eleven, I think. Eleven, eleven puddings up there. Eleven um, puddings up there. All yeah, of them look jolly gorgeous. My, my kids have been challenging me to sort of go through the list. Um, and it has been a while since Sussex Pond, but oh, um, well. you know what? I think uh, suet puddings could be coming our way quite shortly. Yeah, time to crack out the lemon and the suet, I think. Mmm. Howard, there was a moment where I'm trying to remember who it was. Someone was moaning about not being told how much milk they're supposed to add. Um, oh, yeah, it was Amin. Amin, I think. Surely at this stage, week eight, you're, you're in Bake Off. You, you, you should be leaning on some experiences, Jane, then here with what you should be expecting to add. Yeah, absolutely. I never weigh or measure my milk or my water in my pastry. It's a sort of touch and feel sort of thing and similarly with bread very often I very rarely do unless it's for a class and people desperately need to know yeah, you don't need to be told how much milk to add to pastry I don't think I mean she did oh, she did wind me up a bit but she's going does anybody eat it in 2020 why would she do it to me well there were four other people in the tent struggling as well and then not even the quantity of milk I thought oh, yes I love her. I mean, she's absolutely fantastic baker, but she did whinge a lot during the technical session. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she, yeah. Maybe she's having, could... bad day. she's having a bad day. She's having a bad day. I don't know what uh, that business was as well. What she was pounding in the bowl. I've, I've never made um, suet pastry by needing to to pound something in a bowl. No, absolutely. It should be a light touch with suet pastry. <laughs> Otherwise, you're going to end up with something vaguely resembling concrete. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, she's she is funny with her casual sort of way. Like, she just doesn't care what's going on. She's just like casually bashing away at this page. She's like, ah, no, it's just it's just Bake Off. It's only the quarterfinals. <laughs> well, she's doing something right, isn't she? Because well, clearly doing... so. Yeah, exactly. Maybe that casual sort of um, attitude is kind of helping keeping her cool, and thus, uh, yeah, it's helping her along. But uh, mm-hmm. you wouldn't Good think so her. at times. She is amazing. She is amazing. She is fantastic. But she obviously, obviously, Sussex pond pudding was not to her liking. <laughs> no, <laughs> not. And when we got to the end here, Howard, of the uh, technical challenge, I, it wasn't clear who was going to leave the process. I was fearing for Peter, to be honest, at this point. Yeah, I think I think Paul said he's sitting right down at the bottom, uh, which it must must. I'm, I'm glad that. Peter wouldn't have been privy to that conversation because that would have really not filled you with much confidence. I mean, out of five people, uh, five bakers left and you are right down at the bottom. It's um, it's very demoralising. Uh, dessert week for me 
I'd rolled my roulade the wrong way, but I don't think I'd done, I had a particularly bad job of it and, and fortunately survived. Um, but when I saw the show when it was aired, I found that I was pretty near the bottom and I thought, oh, well, that completely passed me by. Normally you have a pretty good idea. So it's interesting when you watch back the comments. Thank God you don't know them at the time, I would say. So uh, yeah, I'm with you, Howard. Poor Peter would have been devastated. Well, let's move on to the showstopper, which was certainly the highlight of this week's episode. And Jane, if you've referred to certain parts of this series as being accessible to viewers, it felt particularly unaccessible to me as I was watching this. It was rather incredible. These jelly art design cakes, four and a half hours they were given. And wow, it came up with some uh, incredible bakes in that time. Well, yes, I always say, you know, some some things are over the top and inaccessible. But you know what? Um, I mean, it was stunning. And they did the most extraordinary job, all of them, for their jelly. Um, and it was interesting to see the way they attacked them. But unlike the Sussex Pond pudding, um, I am desperate to have a go at this. I mean, you need a, quite a lot of equipment, I think, all those bits that look vaguely sort of medical don't they but um i just thought they did the most amazing job and i've seen it on instagram um as many of us probably have and thought oh god i could never attempt that but it didn't seem to phase any of them um so i think i might give it a go because it was wow it really knocked my socks off what they did i thought i thought as showstoppers go this was right up there um and something if you can afford or get hold of the equipment is something we could possibly all have a little go at at Christmas time. I, I just thought they were beautiful. I, I could rave about it, but I'm going to shut up now because I'm running out of superlatives. No, I, Jane, I would, I would agree with you. I thought some these showstoppers, I think, were some of the most uh, beautiful creations I've seen come out of the tent for a long time. Uh, it was really st- and a great variety. Um, I mean, I've never, I've never heard of it as a thing whatsoever. Um, and I'm sort of, you know, if I'd been in the tent that year and been sent that challenge, I'd be like, what? What's this about? Uh, but I, I think they, um, yeah, they blew me away what they what they created. Um, Howard, Jane referred there to needing quite a lot of equipment. You definitely need to get hold of a syringe. Are you familiar with the syringe in your kitchen for baking purposes? Because this was, it was liquid jelly being injected into set jelly. Is that right? It, it was, yeah, and and it looked. I mean, it did look incredible, didn't it? I thought I thought it was stunning. I think we were talking last week. Um, we did an event, and we're talking about the um, Great British Bake Off did a coloring book, and you could just imagine that some of these creations would would warrant being in something like the Bake Off coloring book because they were um, so so impressive. Well, who's who's leapt out to you most, Howard, then? I mean, we obviously saw um, Hameen end up as the star baker um, and she got the most terrific feedback when uh, when she did take hers up for her Japanese poppy. She was told beautiful, absolutely gorgeous. Was hers the one that leapt out to you the most? I thought I, I, I did love Hameen's. I thought it was, uh, you know, very, very impressive. But I have to say my favourite was Dave's. I just thought the colours and that sort of slight art deco sunburst and it just looked absolutely fabulous i think the only problem 
there to me with Dave's was with what he'd put underneath. So he'd done this kind of uh, beach scene and then decided to do a sort of chocolate fudge cake or or something in a clot of cream mousse. And I don't think either of those particularly gave, gave that kind of um, summer beach feel to me. I'd, I, I, I think it just needed something lighter and more, more summery underneath. But the finish of that jelly was just astounding. Yeah, I mean, he actually ended up, um, Ian, with slightly contrasting feedback, almost proved, almost like stepped in to stop Paul criticising uh, at one point, um, it felt. But visually, was that the one that, that appealed to you most, Ian, or was there another one that, that you liked the look of? Well, it's interesting. The, the simplicities, simplicity of Dave's um, did appeal to me. In terms of the design, it was just a, it was a strong, clear design. Um, and so I think if I was going to do something like that, then that's how I would have done it. Uh, but I think Hermine's just, it, I'm trying to think how to describe it, whether it looked like, to, to call it looking like a painting would almost be underselling it because obviously it's three-dimensional. It's, just, it's more of a sculpture. It just, I mean, I would love to have seen it in real life and sort of looked at it from all angles. Because, um, uh, but that, yeah, I, I mean, just incredible, really, really beautiful. So, um, yeah, hats off to Dave for um, yeah a great, strong, clear look. And you know, I mean, photography is my my unusual thing, and I always think a, a good picture should be actually be quite simple, um, so you can see straight away what the subject is. And I think sort of, you know, that's kind of the approach Dave took with his um, with his jelly. So, Jane, we've spoken there very enthusiastically about what Dave and Hermine produced. Um, w- was it fair to say Laura also deserves deserves some some positivity from us? Uh, yeah, absolutely. I, I thought it was a clever idea doing the little koi fish um, and and moulded it. And I think you know her flavours again were nice. If she'd perhaps just neatened up around the outside, I mean that's. But Hermine wins, doesn't she? She makes it look perfectly finished, like it's come out of, as Paul said, a French tea And Laura's just looked a bit scruffy around the outside. But I loved Laura's as well. I thought the idea was pretty sound. Um, and, and I'm just talking jelly here now. And I quite like Mark's. I think he went too too mad, um, going two layers. It would probably be better had he concentrated on one layer of jelly. And the one I was really disappointed in, and I genuinely thought Peter was probably going home was Peter's because having done a wonderful Christmas something or other um, in past weeks this Christmas idea was like oh snow globe cake yeah that's a nice idea and then it just looked pastel and a bit insipid so I was a I, I like the idea of the flavours, but I, I was uh, his was down at the bottom for me, looks wise, and I'm just talking the jelly now. Um, yeah, Peter's was the most disappointing for me. I've got them in a list here. I've got Dave, Hermine, Laura, Mark, Peter, and that's what, how it's been all the way through. And yeah, Peter was for me down at the bottom this week, sadly. Yeah, Howard, it was clear it was going to be between Mark and Peter for who was going to depart. 2020 Bake Off at the quarterfinal stage. Were you uncertain like me who who was going to go at the end? Because Mark's, I mean, I, I, I've written down here that Paul referenced uh, it was like concrete. You know, it was supposed to be a mousse. It was more like a ganache. It was a bit damning at points, the feedback he got. 
It's difficult, isn't it? Because I think sometimes, you know, at the beginning of a bit, you get an introduction about what what the the brief is. Uh, And Matt said at at the beginning that the judges were looking for a baked sponge element. And then Mark decided not to do a sponge. He was doing a a daquoise, so a meringue with nuts in it. And then we only found out part of the way through that mousse was a required element of it. So I, I don't think we we always understand what, what the brief is and whether people have been very um, sort of loyal to the brief or, or not. So, um, but I think it, putting aside the fact that he did a daquoise rather than a sponge, I think it was that the bake itself split mousse over baked daquoise, rubbery jelly, which um, is not a great combination, really. <laughs> I'd have it every Sunday in my house, Alan. <laughs> yeah. oh, in, in some ways, Ian, did you feel that maybe Peter was slightly lucky to find his way through to the semi-final because, you know, Mark had been a, a pretty solid and strong in, in some of the recent weeks and had he had even a, you know, perhaps one of his more average weeks, then, then I think Peter would have perhaps been on his way. Yeah, I know. I'd agree. I'm sure there'll be some many cries on social media about um, Mark was robbed and uh, Peter should have gone home because, I mean, Mark was second in the technical. Yeah, I think Peter was lucky to stay, to be honest. Um, I thought, you know, I thought he was a clear one to go go to the final. But uh, yeah, a lot of doubt was creeping into my mind um, last night. Um, Howard, I did notice on the showstopper before we come to you for your Howard Tump that Laura was wearing gloves uh, for this one. Is is that just something that, you know, makes it much easier to handle? Is that why she went for the gloves, do you think? I don't know. Laura seemed to be taking quite a different approach to things this week. So she made a point of saying that she'd... uh, uh, she she'd imported her agar-agar from from Australia and I thought, I don't know why you'd do that. Anyway, I googled Australian agar and it comes up with a cricketer. So I I don't know, <laughs> I don't know any reason why she was to, doing things in a different way. So the gloves might have been part of this. I import my agar agar from Australia and I make a showstopper wearing gloves. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I don't think she was getting hold of Ashton Agar, the uh, Australian cricketer, um, who uh, who is part of the Australian uh, national team at the moment. Uh, it, and nor was she trying to be a magician with those white gloves. I thought she was going to pull pull a rabbit out of the jelly at, at one point when she was uh, wearing those. Now we uh, we have to move on to Howard's hump. So Howard, what took place in this episode? that caused you to have a hump about it? Oh, do you know, I'm going to get into trouble with Jane on this, but (laughs) (laughs) it is is this business of suet and gelatin. I just think we need to move on a little bit from having meat in desserts. I... uh... I don't think it's it's fair on on vegetarians, pescatarians, and anybody who who doesn't eat pork or beef. Gelatin, personally, I think sometimes if it's used wrongly, it can have a bit of an unpleasant taste. Um, so it, you can get vegetarians through it. Um, so I, I just think, you know, if I'm having dessert, I really don't want that to be my meat course. But that's um, that's just a personal thing. Absolutely fine. If it's tasty, you know, put it in a suet pudding that's that's got meat in it, fine, or a pie or whatever. 
But when it comes to puddings, as in dessert puddings, well, I'd leave it out, actually. Ian, on that poster behind you, which you've yes. got in your kitchen of these uh, great British puddings, how many of them do you think Howard would now be excluded from getting involved with on the grounds of gelatine or suet or similar? Yeah, that's interesting. There's, uh, th- there is a fair bit of suet in there, I must say. Um, it's interesting, though, Howard. I, after I cooked a, um, a particularly dodgy um, jam roly-poly about 10 years ago, my wife has basically banned me from using meaty suet in the house. And we were all slightly scarred from trying to scrub this pot, but me- meaty suet had leaked all over. Um, so I tend to use a lot of veg suet myself, uh, despite not being vegetarian. But, yeah, we've got spotted dick up there, obviously... Um, I think that's often got suet in. Uh, jam roly-poly, uh, Sussex Ponds. Uh, I suppose uh, strawberry trifle, that could have gelatin in. Um, yeah, and the other sort of crumbles and pavlovas and things like that. So I think you're off the hook there. But uh, yeah, four out of the, uh, what have we got? Four out of the 11 could have meatiness in them. All right, well, we leave seven for us to think about for classes, perhaps. So we will, we will talk about that when we finish recording. Um, Jane. Four people left. Are, th- are these four that you thought probably would get towards this stage? I'm still clinging on to the fact that I predicted Laura back in, in week one, but you've still got um, a few of your thoughts in there, certainly Peter. Yes, Peter, I did sort of mark for the final, didn't I? And I think oh, it's really hard to pick between the four of them now. I was thinking about it over a, a cup of tea and thinking, oh, maybe Dave. No, Dave's too good. I sort of thought he would be in the final. And Hermine, of course, hasn't put a foot wrong. Laura, I think, is going from strength to strength. And, well, based on the last couple of weeks, I think I might be a little bit concerned for Peter uh, but not that I want any of them to go. I think there. What can we have a four-person final? Sadly, no, we can't. But uh, I, I wouldn't want to put in the old terms. I wouldn't want to put a cigarette paper between any of them at this stage. I think I'm going to just sit back and enjoy the semi-final and the final. Um, it's gosh, it's all gone so quickly, hasn't it? I'm. What are we going to watch now? Lockdown has happened, and uh, uh, hopefully hopefully um will have lifted by the time or the week after the final i don't know but um, i love them all so i think it's been a very 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 even series probably more so than i've ever seen before so i know i'm not putting money on any of them that it um yeah it'd be interesting to see well, when you talk, Jane, about such an even series, we, we mentioned last week we had seven different star bakers in the seven weeks. Now, obviously, someone was going to get a second star baker, uh, and it was Hermine. Um, Ian, have you got a, um, a thought uh, of who might come out victorious at this stage or too close to call? It's interesting, yeah, just I mean, as we were saying, how, how close it is. And yeah, I agree with Jane. I, I can't remember it ever being this close. Um, it's interesting. I thought, I did think Laura, because um, she was... Um, I don't know. She she did at certain times seem quite chaotic to me um, with the way she went about things, and I thought that would be a bit of a downfall for her. Um, but um, but actually, no, she's obviously done well. Um, but yeah, I mean, especially after last night's performance, um, Hermine is looking the strongest for me. But yeah, I think that what's interesting is anything could happen. Um, every week is obviously a new week. And, um, yeah, just depends what happens on that particular day or that particular weekend. 
I think I think it's diff- It's interesting because you've got some very different personalities. So I think Laura is is quite. Um, she 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 can at times come across as being quite emotional, and that is because she puts her heart and soul into her bakes, and I think she wants to do. Uh, really well and it's fantastic when something goes well for her peter has had a bad week and i think if you can put that behind him and sort of get a um a week when he shines then i think that's going to put him in a much better position for for the final um i think it's about having the maturity to uh, get over a week that's gone particularly well and i uh, gone particularly badly and I'm hopeful that that Peter seems to have that that old head on young shoulders, which will achieve that. Yeah, he might be enthused by surviving a week where he didn't do so well, because he obviously has the talent, as we've seen week after week during the series. Well, thank you so much to all three of you for joining us for the podcast today. I can't believe we've only got two left to do, the semi-final uh, and the final. Um, everyone has got online classes coming up, so please do visit us at bakewithlegend.com forward slash online classes. We even just put up a, a brand new one with yourself, Howard, custard creams and, and fig rolls with two classically British biscuits. So do check that one out on the 22nd of November. Ian, the day before, has got his opera cake class uh, and Jane, um, the coming weekends, has got her Florentines and Biscotti class. So we are looking forward to all of those. If you are thinking about a virtual Christmas party or a get-together of friends, we'd also love to hear from you. We do offer private virtual events. Well, thank you once again to uh, Ian, to Howard and Jane, and we'll be back next Wednesday. just heard a stripped media production. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. This message comes from BOF sponsor eBay. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee. And you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all jewellery that makes you look like the gem, or sneakers and streetwear so fresh every step feels fly. eBay gets it. So look for the blue check mark next to that thing you love and be confident that every inch, stitch, sole and logo is checked by experts. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 